ask of me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. different reports in the few minutes before the meeting for the nations of the world. Um, I wanted to mention to you, I have a little uh, booklet here that basically has the content of the message that I'm going to be sharing today. It's a little more thorough than we'll be able to do in the little time that we have. But if you're interested in this at all, it's called How Not to Quit Your Ministry. You can get this for free, an e-version of it for free off my website called notmanyfathers.com, notmanyfathers.com. So if you go there, there are several little books like this, but if uh, if what we talk about is something that you see, you know, I, I look at you and I know you're troopers and you have been, you know, been in this battle for a long time, but it's not just for you that I'm speaking to today. It's for the people that you minister to, to help them and to, to enable us, uh, just a simple thought, how not to quit your ministry. And so you can get this uh, little booklet for free, as I said, uh, on there, an e-version of it, just download right to your computer. Or if you're interested in hardback, you can get that on Amazon for a little, a little whatever they charge on Amazon, I don't know, a little charge that's involved. How not to quit your ministry. Uh, in your notes I sent out, there was a, a headline that read this, Minister thought dead, discovered in California. And uh, this is a true headline, you know, I take it from a newspaper, and a, a minister going through some discouraging times, he left his home, left his family, left his church, drove down to the nearby river, and placed his shoes alongside the river. And so the people who came to the river later on, they looked, they saw, well, he must have committed suicide. His car was there, his shoes were there. And uh, it was, you know, great brokenness for his family, great brokenness for the church, uh, you know, very painful uh, time. And then the church began, obviously, to kind of go on. Life began to go on until two years later, when one of the people in the congregation was getting on a bus and saw their pastor from two years before. And he had basically just quit. He had just brought his shoes down to the river and just quit. And in my experience, I, I've seen that when we go through these kinds of battles, these kinds of things that happen, that sometimes maybe it's not overt, it's not in a way that everybody can see, but we make our way to the river and we put our shoes down. We quit, basically. In our hearts, we quit. And uh, we just can't quite, we can't quite take it anymore. And like this guy, we, we, we just kind of check out, you know, we, we quit in that kind of way. So sometimes people quit in an overt way where it's obvious to everybody like this man did. But sometimes we quit just by leaving our shoes at the river, just by saying, this is it, we can't do anymore. And, and we step back in that way. In the United States, only one in 10 ministers will actually retire in the ministry. One in 10 actually will end up at the end of the story in the ministry. That's a pretty powerful thing. Uh, some of the different reasons people have given for quitting, I thought maybe we could just touch on these. Uh, uh, I'm going to touch on them lightly. We'll move right along. But in your notes, it says quitting is a real temptation. Number one, here, here it is, dealing with personal evaluation of your call 
and effectiveness. I don't know whether you've ever come to a place where you have felt really shaken in your sense of effectiveness that you just don't feel like you're very, very effective. They have a show uh, here on television, it's been for almost 20 years now, called American Idol. And uh, the show starts out with with them auditioning bunches of people from all over the country to uh, uh, singing. And uh, they're trying to identify this person who will be the next American Idol kind of a deal. One of the things that you see in the beginning of the show are these people who sing, come up to sing. They're auditioning. They want to be the next American Idol. But they're absolutely terrible. You think to yourself, doesn't this person know that they're terrible? Sometimes they're there with family members and uh, and the family members, you know, the will be like, oh, yeah, they did good. They did good. And I'm thinking to myself, tell the person the truth. You know, you <laughs> they can't sing, you know, and uh, and they're 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 like self-deceived. Right. They're getting up there thinking they can sing. And they can't sing. And I, I think to myself, sometimes I felt that way about the ministry. I kind of felt like I wonder if I'm one of those people. I wonder if I really just can't see the truth of the situation myself. And, th- and that self-evaluation can really eat away at us. One pastor said it this way, it's hard to feel significant as a pastor. We are constantly compared to amazing speakers, incredible entrepreneur- entrepreneurs, and holy monkish people who pray more than we can. Our churches are compared to huge churches with massive budgets and incredible bands and staffs as large as our whole congregation. And so, you know, there's like this looking and saying, maybe I just am not a very effective person. You know, I just I, I just don't have it, you know, the way some of these other people have it. And this can be something that sets the stage for us to quit. It's, it, it's there. Another thing that can do it for us is dealing with questions, or or another way to say this would be criticism, right? If you've ever been in any lead ministry leadership position, you've had to battle with criticism, right? Uh, one pastor said it this way, criticism is one of the things that really hurts. Amazingly, people will criticize their pastors in ways they would not speak of their worst enemy. I don't know if you ever felt that, uh, and feel they have the right to hold an opinion on everything the pastor does his professional life, his emotional life, the way he dresses, his choice of words, his kids, his personality, the car he drives, the friends he chooses, and the list goes on. It's easy to feel like you're a constant disappointment to people that you are, and that you are letting people down all the time. I don't know if you've had that kind of feeling. I know when I was a pastor, I did that for 20 years uh, uh, in a church that that by many measures was very successful. But I I remember having this feeling that I was letting people down all the time, that they were looking for something from me that somehow I couldn't quite give them. A third thing that we see is dealing with, we're talking about things that cause people to want to quit, dealing with personal rejection and betrayal. Have, Have you ever felt that one? This is what one pastor said. It's painful to realize that people leave the church because they don't like you. Anybody ever had that experience? People leave your ministry or leave because they don't like, you know, it's not the ministry. They don't like you, right? That, That you can invest deeply in a person, but they can still come to the conclusion that they should leave the church because of something they don't like about you. And often they don't feel the need to even explain. They just stop coming. 
And if you've ever been in the ministry for any length of time, you have heard stories of betrayal uh, coming from family, coming from staff members, coming from, and for many people, this brings them to the place that they feel like quitting. Another issue is dealing with low pay. And I'm not, you know, all of us would like to earn a little more money than we do, right? Where that's just human nature. But what I'm talking about when I say dealing with low pay, it, you know, you're called to a ministry that basically has little ability to give back to you. Maybe it's a super small community, whatever it is. And over time, that low pay can eat at your self-esteem. It can create a, a sense of bitterness in your family. And it grinds away at you over a period of time. Another thing that can get us is dealing with disappointment. I think that's one of the greatest enemies. You know, we have certain things. Sometimes it's ministry disappointments, but sometimes it's within the context of our own family. Dealing with uh, disappointment in our marriage. Dealing with children who who disappoint us. Uh, uh, dealing with so many things. You know, not, not experiencing the success we thought that we would experience. All of these these kinds of issues can have an impact on us. Another is dealing, number six, dealing with envy. Uh, you know, dealing with the fact that others seem to be progressing and you've been left behind. I, you know, I, I don't know if you ever, ever had that, if you've been in a church and, you know, and somebody else's church is doing really good in your community and yours is not so good. And sometimes, you know, even driving by that other church you can almost feel like heat coming off of that church as you drive by because of the envy, really, that gets launched into our hearts. Maybe their kids have made good choices and your kids haven't. And so that's, again, another that's another envy issue. Uh, here's another that most of us have to deal with to some degree or another is dealing with personal brokenness. You know, when we have things in our past, you know, like I came, I didn't come from a church family. I didn't come from a church background. I, I had a, there was a mess going on in my situation. And, and uh, I think of Ted Haggard, you know, we all remember Ted Haggard, who had such a powerful impact and a powerful ministry, but he was abused as a child and he carried baggage his whole life and was eventually brought down by the brokenness of his own the undealt with issues that were in his life, you know, he was he was brought down by that thing. And then maybe last of all here, dealing with a barren soul, you know, and, and that is many of us have had the experience of working away in ministry and somehow finding ourselves drying out. I think of uh, sometimes in the States, we have these, these uh, you'll see a farm with a, an oil pump in the in the farm and on the farm and it's it's uh it just sits out there in the field it pumps pumps oil i remember one time driving by and there was this oil pump and it was screaming it was screeching as it was going up and down pumping oil and uh, as i looked at it i thought to myself that that can be so much like what can happen to us you know here we are screeching in pain for the very thing pumping the very thing that we ourselves need, a fresh anointing, a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, a fresh work inside of us. But the oil pump, the rusty pump is working away, and some of us can become uh, rusty pumps. And, uh, you know, you're people of experience here, and, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of Bible reading or anything else for us to look at to realize that the temptation to quit has overwhelmed many biblical heroes. 
and uh, you can look through and you know it from your experience in seeing. And so I wanted to just take a few moments today to share with you some biblical principles that have helped me not to quit. That is, when, when I'm in the throes of the battle, when things are coming against me, these are the things that have helped me to hang in there. Uh, biblical principles that have helped me not to quit. Okay, number one, this is in your notes too, if you had a chance to get those. Number one, reframing my understanding of ministry. In your notes, it says reframing as we, when you see an old thing in a new way that gives a positive light to it. So let me give you an illustration of that, right? So I'm walking in a mall and I see this old guy walking in the mall. He's got a t-shirt on and uh, I look at his t-shirt and it says aged to perfection, aged to perfection, right? And so, you know, I'm a person who age has been something I've had to struggle with. You know, the idea of this, I can't quite get the strategy of me getting smarter and smarter, but, you know, then older and older. You know, it just doesn't seem like a good plan that God had there. And so this whole thing of, of, of aging, you know, and then what happens to our bodies and stuff like that? You know, sometimes I'm walking down, you know, where the stores are, where they have their windows all lined up and I'm walking along the windows and I look over in, in the glass and I, I look and I say, who's the fat old man in there, in the glass right there? And then I realize it's me. I'm the fat old man walking down the, you know, the, in front of the glass. And, uh, and so I feel a little bad about the fact I'm getting older and kind of falling apart a little bit and stuff. So I see this guy's shirt and it really hits me. You know, he says, aged to perfection. And so I, I start, I look at that and I think to myself, you know, he's right. He says, uh, you, you know, I think to myself, I'm, I'm older, but I'm also more experienced and I'm wiser and I'm more influential now than I was before. And all at once I began to look at my age and not see it as the fat old man anymore, but as the experienced, wise, influential man, right? That I could be aged to perfection, see? So what I'm describing to you right there is me reframing my understanding of aging, right? So you get that idea? I'm re, there's a re, There's seeing it in a different way. And I think that maybe some of you will think what I'm going to say here is controversial, but I, I think that we've got to reframe our understanding of ministry. One of the verses that really helped me to do this is in your notes, Acts 20, 28. It says this, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And these words were spoken by Paul as he is commissioning the Ephesian elders, charging them with their ministry. And he gives a, he says something here that kind of shook me up a little bit because he says this, he says, be on guard for yourselves first, and then all the flock, he says. And this verse, along with some other verses, began doing something for him. Because if you had said to me, Mike, what is what is ministry? My t-shirt would have said this, loving God by caring for others. This is what ministry is. We love God by caring for the people he loves 
lost people, needy people, his church, whatever. We love God by loving others. And that's my def that would have been my definition of ministry. But I realized if I was going to avoid quitting, I needed to come up with a new definition of ministry. I needed to like age to perfection. I needed something else here. And so a new definition unfolded for me in the midst of my situation. It helped me reframe my thoughts about ministry. And I started to see ministry as having as being like a three-legged stool, where before I would have said this, ministry is loving God by caring for others. What I came to understand is this, these three ideas. Ministry is loving God by caring for others. Ministry is loving God by caring for my family. And ministry is loving God by caring for myself. Loving God by caring for others, loving God by caring for my family, and loving God by caring for myself. This is what ministry, it has all these three components. And if you separate them, let me just tell you, I've been around the, the track uh, enough times. If you separate these three ideas, if you if you'd say no ministry guy is loving you know others sounds so sacrificial sounds so meaningful you know to love others sounds like the right thing to do but I'm telling you it absolutely leads to death. L ministry is loving God by caring for others, loving God by caring for my family and loving God by caring for myself. I can remember when my family was young we wife and I, my wife and I made a decision, that, kind of a little policy in our family that I would go to all the games that the kids played. And they play, they started playing baseball when they were like five or six years old. So, you know, so we're talking games, we're talking decade, you know, of games. Uh, go to all the games that the kids were involved in. And of course, for me to do that as a pastor of a of a flourishing church, a growing church, it took a tremendous commitment on my part. I had to change elders meetings and rearrange church appointments. I, I need to be careful here when I say this. I don't mean by this that I went to every single game that they had, but but I, as a normal policy, the normal situation, I was there if there was some way for it to happen. Now, someone could have said to me, you know what? Going to your kids' games is not ministry. That is not, that's something, that's doing something for yourself going to your kids games but you know something they were they would be absolutely wrong why because ministry is loving god by caring for my family and the truth is one of the greatest gifts i ever gave my church or the whole ministry that i was involved in was that my children felt loved and as a result of feeling love they all gave uh some of them two of them, you know uh, are in full time ministry even now, they've did, done missionary work in China and uh, Mexico. Um, uh, two of the three, I had th three kids. My, my one son, he his first five years after college, he gave to ministry, you know, kind of thing. The other ones have, have been lifetime in the thing. But that never would have happened if my kids had not felt totally as a partner with me and connected with me and and me linked in with them see if if i if they didn't understand you know what ministry is is uh, loving god by loving others but it's also loving god by loving you my family i love you my family 
If they hadn't gotten that, it would have been a tremendous loss, not just to me, what it would have taken away from me in terms of energy and strength and the ability to do things. It would have been a tremendous loss to everything that I was involved with. It was very key. In your notes, I made this statement. Look at this. And you may think this is controversial. I understand. But this is what I said. My vacation, my hobbies, my education, my devotional life, anything that nurtures my soul is fulfilling my call to ministry. Now, this shakes up some of us, our theology and our thinking and things like that, because many people see any blessing that comes to us as selfish. And uh, that if we in any way try to claim uh, any blessing or assert ourselves to take care of ourselves in some kind of way, that, that, we're, that we're stealing from God. When the truth is, when I know what God wants for me and I assert myself to get that, and actually the truth is I'm claiming what God has, ha- has given to me and it's, uh, it's very important. for it, it glorifies God when I do that. Assertiveness involves the confidence to know what is mine and to claim it without getting angry, okay? A ministry that blesses others, strengthens my family, and pumps me up is the will of God for my life. I can remember after 20 years of pastoring this church, uh, it came time for me to turn it over. I I felt that was time for me to step back. I'd been involved in building a 60,000 square foot facility. I'd, you know, we'd done all kinds of stuff, but I was like 54 years old. And I felt like the Lord was saying, turn it over to a young man. Uh, I turned it over to a 27-year-old young guy. But when I did that, we took like a one-year transition. When I did that, I started experiencing feelings. I'm always so, you know, I'm so impressed with people who are emotionally, how would I put it? you know, so emotionally well-connected that they can kind of describe what they're going through emotionally. Uh, for me, I'm like, uh, I don't know why, it's like my, I'm, I'm like dumb when it comes to emotions. Some people are really good with emotions, right? I'm like dumb when it comes, my wife would come to me and she'd say to me, what do you feel about this? And I would, you know, stop and think real hard, you know, and then I'd say, honey, I don't feel anything. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to feel, but I don't feel anything. And she would say to me, you're not telling me what really is happening. What's going on with you? What do you really feel? And I would, I would say, I would say, honey, it's much worse than you think. You think I'm not talking to you, but the truth is I don't feel anything. That's the, that's the really sad thing. I don't know how to. And, and so as I'm turning this church over after 20 years of of ministry, I'm experiencing these emotions that I don't know how to put into words. I just don't know how to talk about these things. And so in the midst of this happening, I get this idea. Now I'm 54 years old. I haven't, all I've done is ministry my whole life, but I get this idea, Mike, what you need to do is get a little scooter so that you can scoot around and save some gas. And uh, this isn't the normal way we do things here in this area. But I, you know, I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do it. So I started doing research about scooters. I'm looking for the scooter different places and things like that. And then all at once I find myself saying, you know, you know what I really need is a small motorcycle is what I really need. I need a small motorcycle, but I'm so cheap. I don't want to spend any money 
on anything. So I decide what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy an old motorcycle that's broken down or something, and I'll fix it up. I have never done anything like this in my life. What is going on in my mind? I have no idea. I'm going to buy an old. So I take my garage and I turn it into a little motorcycle repair place, right? I, you know, and I start working on this little Honda Nighthawk 250 that I that I've gotten and 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 trying to figure out what's wrong with the carburetor and you know and putting it all back together and all this kind of stuff. And I, I'm like, my wife is like, what is happening to you? Who took my husband? Why are you doing this? You know, and I, you know, I'm saying, I, I, I'm saying, I don't know why I'm doing it, honey. You just got to let me go here. I don't know what's happening. And so I'm working away and, and my garage becomes like, if you know the Superman backstory, it's the fortress of solitude. I'm all alone in my garage. My kids come in and go, where's daddy's in the garage. You know, I, I'm all alone in my garage. And as I'm working on this, this motorcycle, Something is happening inside of me at the same time. I buy one, fix it up, sell it, buy another one, fix it up, sell it, buy another one, all during the course of this year. And i never done anything like this before in my life. Never worked as a mechanic before, never did anything along this, this line. But I was compelled to do this. And at the end of it, we had a very successful transition. Now, you might look at that and you might say, I don't know what that motorcycle thing was, but that wasn't ministry. I'm here to tell you right now what was happening in that place was ministry. I was processing 20 years of my life in a way that I could do it. I, you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't have said it with words or expressed it, but somehow doing that uh, did it for me. And I want to say to you, ministry is loving God by caring for others. Ministry is loving God by caring for my family. And ministry is loving God by caring for myself. You, 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 you need to have all three of these things at work for you to experience the fullness and to be able to last in this fight for a long time. If you want to be in this battle for a long time, you need all three of these things working for you. Okay, second, number two, second principle that really helped me in my fight, trusting the wisdom of God. Let the name of God be blessed forever, for wisdom and power belong to him. God is wise. And uh, I found a great quote from a, a guy by the name of Chip Ingram. And it says this, the wisdom of God tells us, listen to this quote, it's in your notes, it says this, God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people, for the longest possible time. The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. When I'm trusting in the wisdom of God, I'm saying, I know that God, what's happening right now, I don't understand what's happening I don't understand what's going on. It's not what I would have chosen. It's not the path I would have gone down. But I understand the wisdom of God tells me that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time, that I can trust in the wisdom of God. And I want to trust in the wisdom of God. 
God uses his wisdom and power to accomplish his will. And what is his will? The will of God is for you and I is that we would become conformed to the image of Jesus. That means he's going to use all the circumstances, all the different things that are happening in your ministry, all the things that are, that are going on. You've got to come to the place that you can trust in the wisdom of God. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but I would ask questions like this. Why did God send me to the town I'm in? The town I'm in has one traffic light. There's like, it's, there's like nobody. People come, they call my church the miracle when I was pastoring. They called it the miracle in the cornfield because there is this cornfield and people come from all over the place to this church, the miracle in the cornfield. Okay, why did you send me to a town this small? Is, did you send me to this small town because of something in me? I'm not good enough. I, I couldn't have done better. I, you know, this... You know, why hasn't the church grown the way I've hoped, right? All of us have ideas, and we love to see the church reach certain levels and do certain things. Why hasn't the church grown the way I've hoped? You know, what was that church split about? Anybody know about that? What was that church split about? Why did this happen, right? These kinds of things. And, and so I have to come to this place, uh, you know, where I begin to trust where things are going on. If I'm trying to figure it all out and I, I'm thinking that it's somehow a judgment on me and all, I got to trust in the wisdom of God. God knows what he is doing and God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. And, and so he's going to shape the character of Christ in us. That's just the way he works by by his things that we go through, right? It's not that it's not that God plots these things. It's the promise of God is that he will use these difficulties. He will use these things, and he will not waste one wound that you experience. He will not waste one tear that you shed. He will not waste one of these things. there There was a word I I got in my spirit, and it was this, listen to this, is God wants you to know if there were a kinder, faster, or gentler way for him to change you, he would be using it. If there were a kinder, faster, or gentler way for him to change you, he would be using it. If you're going through difficulties, God knows those things are happening. He's not motivating them. He's not causing them to happen. But he knows that, that he is working for you to have formed the character of Christ in you. And, uh, you know, you've got to embrace that, Lord, I embrace your wisdom. This is not the path I would have chosen, but I embrace your wisdom. I think of the words of, of Joseph. He speaks to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve in many, uh, many people's lives. We've got to embrace the wisdom of God. That's what gives us the ability to pray the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's what enables us to do that, the wisdom of God. And then last of all, becoming a drink offering. The third thing I've had to this is part of this reframing, right? And the, the, uh, an, under, an insight I needed to understand to help me not to quit. 
was to come to the place of becoming a drink offering. Philippians says it this way, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all, even if I'm being poured out. When we think of a drink offering, all of us remember that story uh, from the Bible where David says, oh, I wish I had a drink from the well in Bethlehem. And a couple of his mighty men hear him say this, and they go dashing uh, into Bethlehem, and they fight their way through, run through a troop, jump over a wall. They get in there, get water from the well, and they bring it back to David. And we all remember the story. David takes the water, and he looks at it, and he says, I can't drink this water. He says, this was you sacrificing yourself. For me, he says, I can't drink it. And so he says, the only one worthy of this is God. And he pours the water out, the water that they've sacrificed themselves for. He pours it out and he makes it an offering to God, a pouring offering to God. You have to come to the place, if you're not going to quit, you got to come to the place that you say, I am a drink offering for God. God is worthy of the best years of my life. He is worthy of all of my strength. He is worthy of all of my finances. He is worthy of everything that I have. And I offer myself to God as a drink offering. What I have come to see is that when you give yourself as an offering, you pour that water out on an altar. The altar is composed of three things. Here's the altar that you that you are poured out on before God. The first altar is this. You're gifting or the limitations of your gifts. The limitations of your gifts. You know, every one of us has had to come to the place that we've realized maybe we're not the best speaker, maybe we're not the best administrator, maybe we're not the best leader, but you are the one that God chose and gifted. And so you, you know, you, you, it's, it's a struggle. You'd like to quit rather than pour yourself because you say, why couldn't I have been better? If God was going to put me in this situation, why couldn't I have been better at this? And so you hold yourself back. And the second one here, the second altar is this, your community. All of us have basically our mission, who we are sent to. And some of us, we love our mission and some of us not so much. Because our community has limitations on it. You know, if you're a pastor, you may look at it and say, why did God send me to this town? Uh, why with a population like it is? Why with the economic limitations that are here? Why with the historical bondages that this town has? Why did God send me to this town, right? And you can even look, you know, like I was looking at myself, and you can think, maybe the, God, the reason God had to send me to this town was because I'm so limited, you know. Uh, that kind of thing. But you don't understand something. Sometimes God takes his greatest people and he pours them out on a very few people. And he does it because he, he just has no limit to, to what he pours himself out. Is, he has no, no, no limit to his expenditure. He's not, he's not held back in any kind of way like that. You know, you and I have limitations. Even the devil has limitations, but God is without limitations. So sometimes he says, you know, I have this certain thing I want to accomplish, and I'm going to take my choice servant, and I'm going to pour them out as a drink offering in this situation, because this mission, I want to show my 
love which is without end in this situation. I'm going to take the purest and the best that I have and give it. The third thing your life gets poured out on is your team. And what I mean by that is the limitations of your team. Why did he give you the worship leader you have? Why did he give you the elder you have or the youth guy that you have? Why not a person of different abilities? You know, one of the most important things we can do as a leader is build a good team. But I can tell you something. You can be the best leader and build the best team. The truth is, at the end of it all, there'll be limitations there. And you have to come to the place that you'd say, Lord, even though there are limitations here, I pour myself out as a drink offering over these people whom God has given me. I don't see them as a barrier to your will. I see them as your gift to me. And I pour myself out in that situation. And I find with these three areas, trusting in the wisdom of God, embracing where he has you right now, reframing your ministry, these things, they will really help you not to quit. Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more from Joshua Nations, visit our website, joshuanations.org. Thank you.